Before we get into this week's teaching, I just want to pause for a moment to tell you about our Spirit and Word Leaders Summit coming up in March 2017. Dr. Sharon Stone is going to be with us, incredible prophetic minister with great insight. Mark Stevens will be leading worship, there'll be other guest speakers and myself, and we'll have 24 hours from a lunchtime on a Tuesday to lunchtime on Wednesday to grow as leaders. We want to build incredible, spirit-filled churches that are growing and changing and transforming their communities. If that excites and interests you, come along to be with us. Bring your team and let's grow as leaders. Go to revivechurch.co.uk to find out more and to book in. Kind of dealing with something that affects mission. We're, we're on the subject of extravagant lovers of God at the moment and that's whole there's a whole load of areas around it, but I'm actually landing quite a lot on the area of money. Everybody so oh, everybody say oh great. Oh, great. So I love hearing sermons about money. I remember years ago, I think it was Norman Barnes came to the church, and one of the things he said, he prophesied over the church was, this is going to be the kind of church where you walk into one meeting and you think, oh, they're that kind of church. Then you walk into another meeting and you're going to go, oh, no, they're that kind of church. And so I'm very much aware that in the last two weeks, if you'd have turned up, you were going to think that we're a faith, prosperity, gospel church. Hallelujah. I should be preaching with an American accent and asking for your credit card numbers. Um, Now, the truth is, in every stream, every tribe, every bit of restoration that God has brought to his church, understand, don't ever be foolish and just blank a whole area of truth and go, well, because there's some abuses, I don't believe in any of that stuff. I don't even like the word prosperity. Listen to me, your favorite verse has got the word prosper in it. I bet a third of the room go, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. You've got it on your fridge, (laughs) you prosperity gospel person. Are you from Texas? What's wrong with you? Right? So there's a lot of truth. Like I said uh, last week, in the Bible, there are about 500 verses on prayer, about 500 on faith. There are 2,000 on money and possessions. Money and possessions are deeply spiritual things. If you don't get it right, it can make you very unhappy in life. If you get it right, which let's just seal this right at the beginning so you listen to me, it has nothing to do with greed. That's right. there, Jesus was quite, quite clear, you can't serve God and money. But that also shows how powerful it is. Often that area shows us our choice. So if you can't talk about it, guess who your God is? I just won the crowd over there in one. <laughs> what a preacher. Right, so we're going to talk about money. And, and so I'm going to do a little recap because we were laying some of the foundations of what the Bible shows about money and God's worldview. We're going to go to God's university for a little bit this morning. But I hope to leave you encouraged and inspired uh, because you have been designed by God to steward wealth. Right? You've been designed to look after wealth. Now you might go, oh no, I don't like the rich thing. Listen, uh, if you can go to a tap and turn it and get clean water, if you can sit down and press a remote control and get TV, if you were dry and warm, and if you've got clothes to wear and you're going to eat at lunchtime, you're rich. If you don't understand that, you need to come with me to parts of the third world and realize you are rich. And so the Bible says, so steward it, because it's there that you can be a blessing. And if we get it right, it can be a tremendous area of blessing in our lives. So I just want to talk about all that. Is that okay? And uh, hopefully inspire you a bit. A few recapping pieces then from from last week. Um, Understand 
with the Bible and with God's worldview, there is a protocol regarding finances. Remember the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain, he gave something. I want to say, I want to really irritate some in the room. Not good enough. He gave something and he gave it to God. But he didn't follow God's protocol. And in the end, he gets all miserable. He kills his brother, which is great, isn't it? That's how, that's how um, give me a word, intense the whole area of money and offerings and worship and spirituality can be. We're like, come on, watch, watch. But God says, said to Cain, if you do what is right, would you not be lifted up and favored? We have to... Now, listen, if you're a new Christian, some of this stuff you're going to go, what is he on about? And, and you, you sit down with a, a mature Christian or a pastor, or there are some great books um, that you can borrow them off me to teach you about the basis, basics of finances. But there's a lot in the Bible about finances, and I'm zipping through it real quick. Um, but if you're an experienced Christian, you should be grasping this by now. God has a protocol. In the Bible, it talks about things like tithes and offerings. Tithes are really simple. Um, uh, uh, Jews and Christians give 10% of their income into the house of God. And it does this. You see, finances in the Bible has always been placed as a test. If we go to Adam and Eve in the garden, God said you can eat of any of the trees except for that one. And God is testing the worship of our hearts to see if we're going to take what is his. Now, you go to Malachi at the end of the Old Testament, God is saying, if you don't give me the tithes, you're robbing me. That's how powerful it is. So line it up with Cain again. If you do what is right, won't you be blessed? And we're going to just learn a little bit more about that tonight. There's something about part of our income that as we steward it, we have to recognize, and this is a Christian thought now, steeped deeply in theology, that there's something in my life that's God's, and I have to give him back. And when I do, blessing comes into my life. Okay? Now, very often we're looking, no, 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 I need to accumulate. I need to grab more uh, to be more, because most of us feel kind of insecure, or is my life locked in and stable enough? Uh, But often when we come to God in those pivotal moments in time, like Moses at the burning bush, and Moses is like, you know, what are you going to give me to convince these people? And God just goes, well, what's in your hand? And he says to people, we're going to look at one of these later on today. He says to them, what's in your house? Um, feeding the 5,000. God doesn't make something out of nothing. He says, well, what have we got? A bit of bread, a bit of fish. That'll do. You give it to me, and I'm going to perform a blessing of increasing finance. But it all comes down to this. I'm willing to give you something of what I've got to then bring the blessing of God into my life. And that was essentially the talk that we did last week, and you can hear that free on the podcast. Um, uh, remember, Israel came into the promised land. Here's the, 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 the reality about first fruits that we went to. First fruits is I'll give God the first. He said, give me the first lamb that's born out of all your flocks. You're trusting God with that because you've got no other lambs. And he's saying, give me the first one. So it's an act of trust. When they went into the promised land, um, the first city was called Jericho. And, and he, he said, you can't touch that one, just burn it up, that's mine. Then they went to the next city, and he said, you can have it all. In other words, again and again in the Bible, you'll see the first one is God's. 
And archaeologists have discovered in Jericho, even today, they found um, uh, pots full of grain from the fall of Jericho that was still there. They were not taken. They were not touched. It shows that the the fall of Jericho was a swift thing. It wasn't a long siege. It was a seven-day siege, like we're told. And there's still grain in Jericho left for God. Worship to a small-minded human will always feel like waste. This is why it's called extravagant lovers of God. It's breaking those barriers that, that, that kind of um, uh, look at every piece and go, oh, I'm, I'm going to miserly, I'm going to approach God as if he's a miser. Listen, your daddy's rich. Do you know, one day you live in a mansion. Some, some, are, some are going, I, I don't want to live in a mansion. But what, what do you mean? All the cleaning. Imagine all the cleaning in a mansion. We'll get you an angel. We'll get you an angel with a hoover. We'll have a Henry or a Henrietta, whatever you prefer. A golden one, golden Henry. So the Bible's full of this protocol. I give something to God. And to bring it right down to basic terms, we give tithes and we give 10% of our income to God. And then offerings over and above. But again, I mentioned this last week. Giving the tithe isn't even giving. It's just giving back. The giving happens over and above the tithe. Isn't, that's a challenge, isn't it? Hallelujah. I love it. And then we looked at, how do I build my altar? What's the different ways? And I love, I know I'm using lots of phrases here today, but altar, you build an altar, you put a sacrifice on it. So again, it all links in with the same theme. Offering, sacrifice, altars, giving, tithes, offerings, first fruits. They're all biblical, theological words for types of giving. And I'm using it as a picture of we build an altar in our lives to God and we give him things and it attracts God into our world. We now, uh, as Darren brilliantly put it three weeks ago, we don't give to get, but we do give to bring. It brings God into our world in some way. Amen. And so our singing is part of that. Our serving is part of that. Our prayers are part of that. Our gifts to the poor are part of that. Our tithes and offerings are part of that. I find it fascinating that the picture of, of giving in the Bible is building an altar, and it was uncut stones that you put together. And then... Think of this, the pinnacle of your worship all the way through the Old Testament was this. I put my property on top and burn it to God. That's a challenging thought. The pinnacle of your worship is not how loud you can sing on a Sunday morning. The proof of your heart, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The proof of your worship is what you're putting on the top of your altar. You might build your altar of singing and and speaking and praying and all kinds of lovely things. And God says, right now, prove it. Put your property on top. But it does something. It does something powerful in us. Um, when Noah sacrificed, it brought blessing. When Abraham sacrificed, it brought blessing. David, Solomon, Elijah, the fire of God came. The power of God came. With Solomon, the glory of God came. Uh, all kinds of blessing comes from uh, pouring out offerings to God. And so you want, you want that more in, in full, go and listen to the podcast from last week. Um, what I want to do today is speak on a particular subject. If I could have the next slide, please, Sam. Thank you. How to perform a financial miracle. I thought I'd go with a right and really nice, simple theme this morning. What do you think? How to perform a financial miracle. I like challenging sermon titles. Um, you were born to bring God into your world, even in the area of finances. Now, that might mm, slightly scare you. But imagine being able to give away a few cars in your lifetime. 
Imagine being able to pay off someone else's debts. It's good to be a, a debt counselor, but imagine that God enabled you to be a debt counselor. Um, now, imagine if you got to heaven and you said, God, I never got the area of finances sorted. And God said to you, but you were the solution for financial blessing for that one and that one and that one and that one. And this in Hull and this in another part of the world and building this church and, and establishing that and touching this life. And you were meant to give a car to them. I had to use someone else to do it. But you know what? If you'd have given, I'd have blessed you. But you were so wrapped up in fear, you never even wanted to hear the message. Imagine if we'd missed it because we get funny around the area of finances. Let's not miss it around the area of finances. Uh, I, I, I want to talk about how we perform financial miracles. I've had quite a few in my life, and I'll share a few of those with you. But to begin with, I'm just going to break it down to how to perform any miracle. Is that okay? I've seen thousands of miracles in my life. I've prayed for thousands and thousands of people. I've prayed for plenty of people, and nothing's happened. I've prayed for loads of people, and lovely things have happened. Deaf ears have opened. People have got out of wheelchairs. Uh, backs have been healed. Uh, uh, legs have lengthened and grown. It's been reported by the BBC. It's been reported by UCB. I've seen God perform thousands of miracles. So can I do a really basic workshop on how to perform a miracle? Does that sound good? When you go to work tomorrow morning, they'll say, what did you do on the weekend? Well, I went to this seminar about how to to perform a miracle. How cool would that be? Right? So uh, let's do some of the basics. There's two main ways that you perform miracles in the Bible, okay? Uh, let's have the next slide, please, Sam. Thank you. The first one is the prayer of faith. Uh, and let's, I'll read the scriptures to you. Matthew 21, 22 says this. If you believe, everybody say, if you believe. Listen, belief is really important. Now, I know we don't like it, but it because it puts responsibility on what's going on in our hearts as to the power of God flowing in our lives. But all over the Bible, Jesus said things like things that really irritate British Christians, like, your faith has made you well. And we squirm and we get irritable about it. But the reality is, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Again, the context here is not greed, but I'm showing you the mechanism of how prayer gets answered. Without a doubt, the prayer has to line up with the will of God in the first place if you look elsewhere. But we're looking at the mechanism of how a miracle takes place. But one of the ways is a prayer of faith. This scripture from James 5, is anyone among you sick, let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Now, let me work on you for a minute. A lot of people have a lot of experience around prayer, and they base their theology on their experience. That is not how to build a good theology. Don't base your theology on your experience and then go, God doesn't work. Is Jesus truth? Does he lie? Therefore, the Bible's the truth. So if it says that the prayer of faith makes and causes things by God's power to happen in your life, then I'm going to ask a really deep question. Does the prayer of faith cause things to happen in our lives? Yeah. So what happens if we pray and nothing happens? It wasn't a prayer of, we might have felt it was a prayer of hope. It might have been a prayer of desperation, of hope, of clinging, of, oh my God, please do this because we're, we're, we're struggling here. If 
the prayer is a prayer of faith. If genuine faith enters our hearts, and that's not just, oh, well, how many scriptures can I quote and stir it up? But if genuine faith is in our hearts, then things begin to move. Jesus said, speak to the mountain, believe in your heart, and it will move. I mean, Jesus did wild stuff in the pages of the Bible. And so one of the ways that we see miracles come about is by the prayer of faith. I remember being in South Africa in a little house group. And I don't know what had come on us as a, as a little team, but we, we started to pray for people with, with bad backs. And what we discovered was loads of them had one leg shorter than the other. And so we started to pray. And all we did is we just sensed in our hearts God's going to do it. I don't know where it came from. We didn't cook it up. We'd been praying. We'd been in the presence of God. But suddenly we knew God's going to do something. And people were sat and we picked up their legs. I don't know if you've ever seen this happen. We picked up their legs and one leg shorter than the other. And we were laughing as we prayed. And then the leg began to grow. And I looked at the woman and I said, do you want to be taller or shorter? I don't know which, which, which way are we going to go. In this room, there must have been only 20 people there. About eight of them, their legs grew before our eyes. We were like, good heavens. And all we were doing was praying in faith, praying with the sense that this is what God wanted to do right now, and the healings began to take place. The prayer of faith. Ken Gorman had three tumors in his cheek. Some of you might have seen the television report of it. Um, Three tumors in his cheek. He came through, and he was simply prayed for. I don't even know that the person praying for him knew what was wrong with him. Just prayed for him. He happened to fall down on the floor under the power of the Holy Spirit, got up, went back to the doctors. They re-scanned his face. There was no tumors there. They say, this doesn't happen. What's happened? Well, I was prayed for. The prayer of faith makes the sick person well. I remember being down in Lincolnshire a few months ago, and I was praying, and, and I was praying along a, a line of people that, that wanted to be prayed for, evidently, and, and uh, I was praying for them, and there's this one woman, and she'd lost her voice two years previously and hadn't been able to speak. I said, what's wrong with it? And she, she's whispering like this, and so I just put my hand on her neck, and I said, in Jesus' name, voice, work. She began to speak. I saw her weeks later, still speaking. Just a simple prayer. How often do you pray over your finances? Oh God, pay this bill. Help me to give in to this. I want to be a blessing to that. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. The first way that we see miracles take place is we pray the prayer of faith. I remember being in Turkey and I hurt my foot in some way. And so my foot was blowing up. And, and now this is the journey of faith, right? I'm in Turkey and I'll be honest with you. I didn't want to go to a Turkish hospital. And my foot's getting bigger and bigger. And I'm like, I don't want to go around. I'm pumping the ibuprofen. I'm trying everything because I do not want to go. And it's about day five. Now I'm praying. I bind it in Jesus' name. I throw oil on it, ribena on it, anything I can think of, fish and chips, anything just to, that looks spiritual. I'm binding the strong man, loosing the weak one. And my foot isn't getting better. And I'm fighting with God. Listen, be real. We play a part. What's going on inside of us plays a part in God's miracle. It's like this, you see. Electricity is electricity. But if it hits wood, it doesn't change the electricity's power, but the power stops flowing. If it hits steel, it flows. Faith, go read the Bible from cover to cover before you disagree with me. Faith is a conductor of God's power. With his faith, there's power. With his power, there's miracles. Now, I'm, this is the journey, trying to get to a place of faith over my foot. 
oh, I, I, I'm reading the scriptures. I'm praying to God. Come on, God, get one of that. I don't want to go to a Turkish hospital. Jesus, I don't want to go. And I'm wrestling my heart through. Have you ever wrestled your heart through? You see, what we're supposed to be doing as we approach a miracle is wrestling through to a point of faith where suddenly you go, the word of the Lord came to me. I got it. I got it. And the Bible says, if you believe that you have already received it, in other words, it's as good as done, then it becomes yours. And time and time again, I could tell you stories of people like Jane Hanwell, who just received a word on a Sunday morning that she'd been healed. And she was out with her family. They were about to walk up a mountain. They were going to walk up without her like they had done for the last seven years. And then she felt, well, no, if I'm healed, then I'm healed. And as she started to walk up the mountain, she's healed. She received it, then she received it. That's what faith is like. But you're fighting through to this place of receiving. Now, I'm fighting through to my place of receiving. And there was, it was about day five, and I remember it vividly. I went from asking and binding and loosing and focusing on my foot and worried about not going to hospital. It, let's be honest, we pray a lot of fear-based prayers. Come on, work with me. We, we, we pray desperate prayers. They're not faith prayers. We pray fearful prayers. Oh, God, don't let it happen to me. Protect me, protect me, protect me. That's not faith. Faith is I am God. Now, day five, I went from, oh, God, I really don't want to go to hospital. I bind you, bind you, bind you. Just cut it off. Do something, anything with it. <laughs> on, the, on, on the fifth day, I woke up and I just felt, I worship you, Jesus. I love you. I'm focusing on you, Jesus. I praise you. I worship you. And I just began to enjoy God's presence and started to slightly forget about my foot. And I remember we were on an all-inclusive holiday in Turkey. And we were at one, at the, in the dining room. And I remember getting up. And the presence of God just fell on me as I, walk, I was just walking to go and get another chicken schnitzel. <laughs> Come on, brother. On the way to a chicken schnitzel, the power of God fell on me. I became drunk in the Holy Spirit. And as I walked across, I felt the power of God hit me and my foot was healed. On the way to a chicken schnitzel. <laughs> but understand this dynamic. You're wrestling through to a point of faith. Be honest about it. I'm trying to deal with my fears and my anxieties and my objections. And I just want to go, oh God, it's all about you. But he says, no, you've got to pray your kingdom come, your will be done. Don't blame me for what doesn't happen. You bring me into your world by your faith. That's all over the Bible. According to your faith, let it be done. If only you'd have believed because you have so little faith, Jesus said. So what is this faith thing? It's simply this. Look where I got to in faith. It wasn't, oh, bind it. Oh, Jesus. Oh, theology, binding the strong man, trying to maneuver God into something. No, it was this. Oh, Jesus, you love me. Actually, faith is getting back to our relationship and away from the worry. Back to who he is. And when you meet Jesus, you meet healer. When you meet Jesus, you meet provider. So when we get into a, prayer, a genuine prayer of faith thing, things happen. If you believe, you will receive. But those are the words of Jesus. Then the other way that, uh, that all miracles flow, Sam, you could do the next slide, please, is the act of obedience. Jesus said to them, very truly I say, the Son of God, the Son, speaking of himself, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And I've given you a little example here in Exodus. Then the Lord said 
to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out. In other words, it was an act of obedience. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. There are times, and often they're very mixed, between the prayer of faith and the act of obedience. There are times when God says, if you do this, I will do this. And that's where we need to be listening. And this is particularly great for finances. We'll talk about it in a minute. But when you listen to God in the area of finances and do what he says, his blessing is on your finances. Seen it again and again. And so there are moments, you know, the Jericho shout. If you march around the walls, then you shout. Then they tumble. And, you know, the, things happen when we obey God's voice. Lynn, who came up here uh, earlier talking about the I go day, I believe was it, Angie, did God say to you, pick your stick up, lift it over your head? Oh, it's just like that scripture there. And Lynn was probably a little bit, you know, not that impressed because it probably hurt to do that. But she lifted a stick over her, her head and was healed. Is that right, Lynn? Where have you gone? Is that what happened? Yeah. So there are moments when God says, do this and I will do that. And we engage our faith, not just in prayer, but by an act of obedience. So that's how miracles happen. Number one, you pray in faith and you trust God. Uh, and it really helps to have a word from God. So the first thing I do when I, when I hear, you know, something's wrong in some way, and I know the kingdom of God needs to come, I don't run around, I don't even pray to begin with. I go, God, what are you saying? Because man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As soon as I know God said something, I'm like, right, we can hang our faith on that and begin to pray around it. When you know the will of God, you can begin to engage your faith. So now let's take that across uh, to the whole area of, of praying for financial miracles. So number one, I can't even, oh, no, leave that light now, leave that on that for now, and I'll, I'll do the prayer of faith with regarding finances. I remember once a young boy who was a friend of mine, we were at Bible school together, and he wanted some yellow trainers. His name was Andrew, he must have been about nine years old, and his mum and dad didn't have any money. And uh, mainly because it was, it was like me in Bible school, we'd trust God over toothpaste and things like that. We'd have prayer meetings over toothpaste. Trust me, we needed prayer meetings over toothpaste. We didn't have any money. We were, we were working for God. We got food and, and a place to sleep, basically. But my income was about 50 pounds a month. And so you're trusting God for anything remotely adventurous. Why this relates to mission is, if you were always going to say to God, I can't afford it, you'll never be able to obey God. If you can't listen to God and go where he tells you, then your bank account is your God, not God. But when God says, do this, guess what? He has to pay for it. So I, I just step out with God and he starts to, I'm, I'm like, well, this is going to be a good testimony. But it's going to be fun in some way. Never say I can't afford it if God said it. It's a powerful test of your relationship with God. So little Andrew's praying. He says to his mom and dad, I want a yellow pair of trainers. And they're like, oh, great. You know, probably thinking like parents do. They had three kids. Probably thinking, uh, uh, right, yeah, where are we going to get the money for those? A yellow pair of trainers. So they did what all good parents do. Well, ask Jesus then. So Andrew every night began to ask you, Jesus, I'd like some yellow trainers, please. The next night, Jesus, I'd like some yellow trainers. Now in Bible school, uh, because there was loads of us that weren't very well off. There was probably a couple of hundred of us that weren't on wages as such. So we, we looked a little bit like the Munsters. Do you know what I mean? We dressed, we were, we were in borrowed shirts with sleeves too long. I had belts that wrapped around me three times. I wore odd shoes at times. You know, we wore all kinds. CNA used to deliver with the, the CNA box, which was all the cast-offs from CNA. 
and honestly, we were like piranhas around a dead body when the CNA box came, hey, what's there? We, we were dressed, I wore lovely Pentecostal hats and also anything that we could wear to keep ourselves looking reasonable. And the CNA box was delivered and it was a couple of weeks after Andrew had started to pray, God, please can I have some yellow trainers? And there in the CNA boxes, the gannets were shoving it and grabbing things and it's like a, like a sail. Um, there in the bottom of the box was a pair of yellow trainers. But you've got to get the size right. There was a pair of yellow trainers in his size. The prayer of faith. You have not because you ask not. Um, we need to bring to God, bring God into our financial world by saying, God, would you help with this? The prayer of faith. I remember when Vicky turned 30, I said, what would you like to do for your 30th, darling? And she said, well, I don't want to turn 30 in Britain. So I'm thinking, oh. It's all right, she turns 40 this year. We're on it again. So now, I just happen to know that it was the year that we, we, we happened to move house, and, and we changed our car that year, I think it was, and so we didn't have a lot of money. So she said, oh, well, I don't want to... I said, well, where would you like to turn 30? New York. <laughs> you know, the Bible says he gives us, he gives us the desires of our hearts, but he, he, he blesses us for our enjoyment as well. He richly provides for our enjoyment, the verse goes. See, again, when we're twitchy about this stuff, it's because we're twitchy about who he really is. We think he's a headmaster. We've not caught father who says to the miserable older prodigal son, which some of us can be around a message like this, everything I have is yours. You could have had a calf any time. You just never asked for it. You have not because you asked not. So Vicky says, well, you know, I want to go to New York. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. So I go to God and say, God, this woman you gave me. <laughs> I love you, sweetie. I'll never go too far. I've only ever actually got in trouble once for preaching, and I won't say what it was because I'll get in trouble again. <laughs> it was a long time ago, so stop trying to think what it was. She doesn't mind at all, otherwise I wouldn't do it. Um, uh, but I said, God, she, uh, have you heard? <laughs> she wants to go to New York. We've just moved house. We've got a car. Money, you know what I mean? And I'm the one, you know, I get, God, what you, yeah. And God just said to me, well, do you think I want to bless Vicky? Well, yeah, she's a good wife. Do you think I want you to be able to bless Vicky? Yeah. Then book it. And I, I can't even tell you how the money came in or how we managed. There wasn't a specific miracle. That's important to realize, too, in financial. Don't expect brown envelopes and money to fall out of the sky. Sometimes you don't know how you did it, but somehow it all stretched and you got there. And sometimes as we stretch, he stretches with us. But we're so wrapped in fear that we won't stretch. I just won't go on that mission. I just won't buy that thing. I just won't invest into that. I just won't give in that way because I'm listening to the voice of fear. But when we listen to the voice of God and say, God, what are you saying? And he says, go on, stretch for it. I'm going to grow you a bit. There's, there's never been a financial thing where he doesn't stretch me. And he says, come on then, go, reach for it. You can reach it. And I'm like, are you sure? Step out and you stretch. 
And so the prayer of faith is a powerful part. I remember praying for a car. There's a lot of car stories in my life. Mainly, and it's, there's nothing special about cars, it's because I spent a lot of my, my early ministry years itinerant, but on a low income. So I had to get places, but didn't have the money to get anywhere. So um, I remember once praying, oh God, I, I, I need a car, and I'm going through, and I'm praying, and I'm praying myself to a place of faith, and I just felt God say this, this scripture from the book of Psalms, and I, I didn't even know what it was. So I, I turned to it, and it says in the book of Psalms, he saw me in my low estate. So I thought, I'm going to have an estate car. And three weeks later, somebody gave me an estate car. So God even twists scripture to bless me. Because that's not what he meant. When we engage our hearts and start to pray, see, at the core of this is, who am I? Am I loved? The good thing about Brits is, I desperately don't want to be selfish or materialistic or greedy. Although I'd say that's more prevalent than we think. We, we, we kind of pretend that we don't want to be, um, but we're all, we're all rich um, in the grand global scheme of things before God. And so as we pray prayers of faith, that there's a release of finances. If you go to the next slide for me, Sam, I haven't really got the time to do this justice, so we're, we're kind of heading towards wrapping up really. But let me read to you this, because this is, this is the other way. This is the act of obedience that releases finances. It's Elijah and the widow at Zarephath from 1 Kings 17. It's a great scripture. Let me read it to you, and it goes on to a second page. Sometime later, the book, brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. Take yourself into this story, please. Work with me. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. Understand that when we get there, you're going to discover, I don't think she was directed at all. I wonder what God has directed us to do that we haven't even heard. Because we're too focused on our circumstances. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, oh, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. God's always cheeky about the area of finances. I do quite like that. It does annoy people. Verse 12, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, watch this, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Do you think she felt very directed by God? No, she was totally looking at the cupboard and the bank balance and going, are you kidding me? I'll get your water, but a bread? You've got to be kidding me. Two voices, the voice of your cupboard, the voice of the Lord. God said, I've directed her. She said, we're about to die. I wonder what we listen to. If God's directing you and you can't listen, listen, you've got to be able to listen to enter the miracles of heaven. You've got to be able to listen. Now, here's the great thing. She went from looking at her cupboard to listening to God with the help of the man of God, okay, in this case. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. There's the key. There's the key to all our financial issues. Stop being afraid. Because when you fear, you cannot be extravagant and fearful at the same time. Extravagant means the removal of boundaries and barriers to step into the limitless wonder of who God is. Fear, and we know there's 365 of them in the Bible, right? Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Why? Because fear will always be the thing that stops you entering into heaven's best. 
if your theology and your logic and your understanding, whether it be of health or finances or anything else, is fear-based, you will not walk in God's best. Faith attracts heaven. Fear attracts demons. I'll say it plainly. Go home. He said, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first, that's a great line all over the Bible. First, give God what he wants. Here's the act of obedience coming in. But first, it's the first fruits. Make a small loaf of bread for me. I mean, this guy's cheeky. Can you see he's walking on the word of God? He's really not walking on kind of human pity and compassion. Oh, you're about to, okay, do as you said. In other words, go home, make a little something and die. That's fine. But first, can you see how cheeky he's being? We've got to get cheeky and bold around the area of finances. Get cheeky with God. Don't get silly, but get cheeky. First, make a small loaf of bread for me for what you've done and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. Blessing is always corporate. It blesses many of you, okay? For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord, Spoken by Elijah. This is an act of obedience, financial miracle. She had to do what she was told by God, and there was a miracle that was released. She went from listening to her cupboard to listening to the voice of God, and suddenly there was an open heaven where she was. The act of obedience. Again, I know I tell car stories like I tell you, it's because that was my need at the time. So my car was getting a bit, bit, uh, bit rankly. And uh, I needed a new car, so I, I, I do what I do. I prayerfully start to go around, look around car showrooms. Listen, if you've got an area of need or that you sense that God is in life, go start spying the land. Go get your juices flowing. Go, listen, we're all extravagant in different areas. And we, we, you know, uh, in different ways. You know what I mean? So, I mean, Vicky and I... You know, we don't have a, a gym membership. We don't spend lots on cars. We don't, uh, we don't even spend that much on coffee. I remember seeing a guy in a, in a coffee shop uh, at Costa Coffee. And I'm stood in the queue. He's come in after me. And I can see he's in a bit of a rush. So, so uh, you can go in front if you want. Oh, thanks, mate. So while they're making his coffee, uh, I, you in here a lot? I say, oh, I come in every day, five times a week. I come in here on the way to work with my missus in the car. And I get us a couple of costas. And we head off to work. I said, oh, that's great. You ever added up how much that comes to? Five costas a week, 52 weeks of the year, that's 1,300 pounds. That's a holiday. He looked at me when he, don't tell me, missus. <laughs> so we worked out a long time ago that actually, you know, for me, Sky membership, that's a holiday. Gym membership, that's a holiday. So you see, we've all got different priorities. Uh, you, you'll notice that I wear the same two shirts to preach every Sunday. Have you noticed? All right. I do not spend a lot of money. So it's nothing to do with greed, but my priority is I want to see the world that God has made. So I know I can, if, I, if I coffee in a certain way, I can holiday on that money. So you've got to understand, we've all got different priorities. You've just got to work out what you really need for you to live. Don't keep up with the Joneses. Listen to your Heavenly Father and live your life. But if you're living... If you're living your life under the Word of God, there's provision. 
So I'm looking around and I'm going around garages and I'm, I'm praying, Lord, come on, I, I need a better car and I don't quite know what to do. I'm hunting for the word just like I'm hunting to get my foot fixed in Turkey, right? I'm hunting for the word and I walk into this garage and there in this garage is this shiny car. Now, like all men, shiny impresses me. And I look and I, it's smooth and smooth and beautiful and put my head in. Oh, smells so good. Now, now here's what you have to do. I nick this from Joyce Meyer. What you need, she does it when she's buying dresses. I do it when I'm buying cars. Uh, walk the mall. In other words, think about it. Let the emotion die down to hear the word of the Lord. So I thought about it and I let the emotion die down and, and I came back and I had this little thing inside of me going, book it. Go on, book it. How can I book it? I ain't got any money. Book it. So I'm like, well, this would be fun. It's either God or it's not. So I booked this car, brand new, six weeks for it to be made and, and shipped over. And, and I booked the car and, you know, I told them, you know, got a rich dad, all that kind of stuff. That's, don't worry about it. Cash, not a problem. Come on, brother. Hallelujah. I was, I was washing a lot of Kenneth Copeland at the time. I must have been. Hallelujah. <laughs> And uh, so, you know, and so now it's booked. So now I'm praying, oh, God, <laughs> come on. I did what you said, act of obedience. Um, uh, several weeks later, I get this letter from someone saying, uh, are you trying to buy a car at the moment? Because I feel the Lord wants me to help you. Now, if you have ever written to me, you would know that I'm extremely slow in replying. But on this occasion... There was a first-class stamp on that, baby. <laughs> well, yes, and I'm just hoping, please, Lord, don't let her give me 300 quid. What's 300 quid going to do? I need thousands of pounds. The day before I had to pay for it, the check came through that paid for the car. We then went into, several years later, again, same thing. I'm traveling with my work. I need, I need, I need cars. And we, so we go into a Mercedes garage. I thought, let's try it on this time. No, it wasn't a big thing. I'm, I'm just not that into cars. But again, we felt God say, listen, time and time again, I've got to shorten this because I'm running out of time. Time and time again, over little things and big things, over holidays, over items we need for the kitchen, over giving, over offerings. Vicky and I are going, what do we feel God saying? I felt God say, I felt God say, I felt God say, give this. I felt God say, we need to trust for this. I felt God say, we need to book this and trust him to come through for us with the finances. And what we will do as part of our journey is that we make sure that we're healthy and we're giving and we're generous. Not that we're actually stinging and trying to accumulate. The dynamic of the kingdom is in giving, not in accumulating. But as you give, there becomes a flow of finances into your world. I really am out of time, aren't I, Chris? He sat there with his microphone, bless him. So again and again, you need to hear God's voice. Um, I'm going to have to cut this short. Let's stand together in the presence of God. And just close your eyes and listen as I speak for a moment. In fact, I'll take the hand held. And uh, Mark's going to play. So listen, just close your eyes and listen just as I, I try and sum this up. I've run out of time really, but... For a healing miracle, you've got to build a house of faith and hope and presence and trust. Do not be afraid. You've got to get your focus on the right thing. You've got to hear the whispers of heaven. 
And when you build an interior castle that's full of that, the presence and the voice of God, this is the reality. A miracle is far more likely. You're creating the environment for miracles. With a financial miracle, as you build a house of faith, like the widow, you step from looking at the cupboard to starting to listen to God. A house of generosity, a house that tithes and brings the first fruits and understands offerings, that focuses on God and realizes God wants to bless you for your enjoyment in a, in a reasonable and fun way. He's not killjoy, but also bless you to be generous into the kingdom of God. Understand this, financial miracles are far more likely if you've got a house built of trust, a house built of faith. A house that's listening to the voice of God. So the next step to step into the miraculous is always this. Be asking God and be listening to the voice of God. Be asking God. Everybody say asking. See, you have not because you ask not. Have you asked God where to give, how to give, when to give? And have you listened fearlessly? Have you asked God how to build your life? And we need to recheck that every season. God, what are we doing that we shouldn't be doing anymore? And what are the new things you want us to do? Ask and listen. Ask and listen.